All right, welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast. I'm your show host, Maxim Seguin, and I'm the founder and CEO of Fit Vegan Coaching, a company that is on a mission to help 10,000 people get lean, thrive, and reduce their risk of chronic illnesses by 2033 and a million by 2050. I believe that having a fit, healthy body in mind is the foundation to living an incredible life, and this is what little show will give you if you choose to listen and implement. Enjoy the episode and have a great day. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another podcast episode. Very excited for the show today. I'm joined by Doutsi Bouch, vegan Olympian, founder of Switch for Good, which I had the opportunity to meet, uh, you know, maybe like a month or so ago at a vegan expo. Um, you appeared in the Game Changer documentary, which I feel like I'll, that was a big um, pivotal moment for a lot of people on their plant-based journey. You won eight U.S. national championships, two Pan American uh, medals, and some world records. So you've done a lot of things, um, and you've been a plant-based athlete for a long time. So I'm very excited to dive into kind of your story, your accomplishments, and I have some questions about the Olympics and kind of how you were vegan throughout that, that process. So let's jump into it. Um, first of all, welcome to the show. Yay! I'm so glad to be here. Really am honored, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I feel like every time I record with people that have accomplished a lot, the introduction gets so long. It's like you've done so many things. <laughs> yeah, it's like so, just cut it off. Have the conversation. Yeah, you've done a lot of things, right? Um, so I'm, I'm honestly very curious. Like, what made you go vegan in the first place, and was it before you were training or after you started training? It was way after I started training. So I started, uh, I started training in cycling itself late, uh, for Olympic standards. I was 26 when I picked up the bike and started training. Um, but so 12 years, I was training really hard and racing as a professional prior to going plant-based. Uh, I grew up in, in the South in Kentucky and I grew up on every thing every other people except for us plant-based people like to eat right like i mean i really grew yeah. up on this on brisket and pork chops and steak and kentucky fried chicken and all this all the stuff so i i understand the journey of of the transition very well but i think it's a bit easier of a transition if you're going in through the ethics lens which is how i entered in Okay. Just lived my whole life as a uh, deep lover of animals. Grew up with horses and dogs and gerbils and hamsters and fish and rabbits. I mean, I just was that kid that didn't love to hang out with other kids because I would, was coming home from school and wanting to hang out with my animals. That's just, I would sit for hours um, with the rabbits in their shed and do my homework. And I just was, I just have always felt very connected uh, to other species other than, than my own, uh, even more so as I, as I stated. And so when I just had the awakening, uh, that I was eating my friends, um, <laughs> just, I couldn't wrap my head around it anymore. I, it just didn't sit right. It was pretty much a singular moment in time that I just sort of, it all came together and came clear. And I made the decision to stop and eat plants. And, and, and at that point I was you know, a couple of years out from Olympic games as I'm taking this journey and I'm starting to ask more questions about 
nutrition. I already knew a fair amount, right? Like I was already training at the Olympic Training Center, you know, many, many times during any given year. And I'm, I'm traveling with the U.S. national team. So we had wonderful dietitians and, um, and I had a, I had a good sense for proper nutrition, repair and recovery nutrition. And the lucky thing is I already loved, um, I already ate a lot of plants. I loved legumes. I loved big salads. I loved vegetables. I loved nuts, seeds. I mean, I, I kind of, I was like the salad bar person. I'd go there first and then go yeah. back and get like a smaller por portion of like what would be, you know, meat and stuff. So I had that going for me. Uh, but I, I, I already knew that, that many, many foods in the plant-based world had protein. You know, it, I yeah. didn't have to go through the, oh my God, where am I going to get my protein? I knew exactly where I was going to get my protein. It just was going to be a shift and it was going to be a change and it was going to be potentially a little bit more challenging on some of our and traveling. I mean, this was 2010. Yeah. So, you know, I had to, I had to put some stuff popular. together and figure it out. It, absolutely not as popular. I mean, it was definitely, they looked at you like you had 10 heads. I mean, if you, if you said anything of what it picked the word, right. <laughs> yeah. Vegan, mostly plants, anything, but um, it was, um, I thought it was a fun journey because I was so excited to stop eating my friends. I mean, it, it just, it was, you know, as many of us has had that moment where it's just, and it, it's, it doesn't have to be the plant-based moment. Lots of people in life have had that shifting pivotal moment that changed the way they view the world. And that's what it was yeah. for me. And, and so it, I was excited to explore and go on the journey. Yeah. So when, when you had that kind of realization, you made that connection that basically you were eating your friends, did you already know about like being vegetarian or being vegan? Did you already know that you would kind of move into that world a little bit more? Or was it like, oh man, I need to kind of discover how to fuel myself all over again? Because obviously you mentioned you yeah. were eating primarily plant-based before. Well, I wouldn't say primarily, but I liked the stuff. I mean, there was still, yeah. don't get me wrong, still plenty of animal, it was a side animal dish. foods. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just didn't have to like switch from, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Burger King and McDonald's to a plant-based diet. So, yeah. right? Because that's 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 what some people do and they completely radically change their health. So it was it was just like, okay, so I'm going to keep this stuff in. I'm going to take this stuff out. I'm going to eat more of this other stuff. But um, it was, it, it, I mean, the nutritionists and dietitians that we had on the team were, you know, everybody's like, oh, did you get a lot of pushback? It was, it wasn't really like that. I mean, there wasn't, I didn't, first of all, I didn't advertise it. I mean, I didn't yeah. sit down for the first time and be like, now is really nobody's business. And I, I wasn't an activist yet. I hadn't yeah. put those pieces that I could like do something about it. I didn't even realize there was a movement. I mean, literally I came home from Olympics and like, I don't know, three or four weeks later, my husband comes home with some takeaway food from Native Cafe, which is a vegan place out here in um, LA, as you know. And he has this flyer with him and he said, oh my gosh, here, you should take this flyer. I, there were these people at Native and they, they were having a meeting and they were talking about the stuff that you talk about. And it was a Mercy for Animals flyer. And so <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't, I just... But social media wasn't anything close to what it is now. I mean, so at this point, it's yeah. 2012. Um, I mean, I didn't even get on Instagram, I think, till 2015 or when it was. So it, it wasn't, I, I didn't really know that there was a whole <laughs> whole thing happening. And so I was like, oh, wow, cool. And so that's who I called. I called Ari Solomon at Mercy for Animals and I went up to meet him in, in Los Angeles. And he's like, oh my God, come on, I'll show you the office. And and I was like, oh, yes, there's this like a, 
people fight for this. I love it. And so I just started volunteering for them. I mean, that's the, was the beginning of my activism because in the two years leading to Olympic Games, I, 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 wouldn't, I wasn't an activist at all. I mean, not only did I not really yeah. know it existed, but I didn't, I, you know, selfishly, I probably wouldn't have taken the time. Yeah. What was there, was there any, appre- I would say fear, apprehensions in changing where you would be getting your protein? And did you notice any difference in your training? And recovery. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, not strong apprehensions. I mean, you know, I, I always had this sort of like bit in the back of my mind. I don't know why it was in the back and, the, and not the front, but I feel like it was just floating back there that was like, this is the right thing to do. And so it's not going to steer you wrong. Like I just mm-hmm. had this, this kind of visceral belief that that was going to be the case, not knowing if I had any idea what I was talking about or not, but I just felt like it's the right thing. And I'm not going to go back to doing otherwise for a quest of an athletic journey. Like I, to, to me, I was like, that's, that would be lame. So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stick, stick to it. But it, there were, I mean, there were times where it was like, okay, did I, you know, honestly, I did this before though. I, I was getting ready to say that there was, okay, did I get enough? I'm counting the the grams. I'm counting the carbohydrates. I'm counting the calories because we were training three yeah. times a day. So I was up, I was almost at 6,000 calories a day, sometimes upwards of that. So it was, uh, I had to just, I was trying to put on muscle, glute and, and hamstring muscle because our, yeah the event that I was doing is from a standing start. And I had come from 10 years as a road cycling professional. So think like tour de France. So I had a lot of weight to put on. So that was, you know, like, Oh wow. I wonder if I can even, I I think I had a sensation and and a knowledge that I could stay at homeostasis, like the way I was and strong and able and fit, but could I grow muscle? I think that's where I was like, I don't really know, but Yeah. yeah, you can, if you, eat protein. It just grows and grows. And you train uh, so, for it. <laughs> and you train your butt off. And and that's yeah. what I was doing, you know, three times a day, right? Literally. We were training on the track. And then the second was a road ride. And the third was in the weight room. So it's, yeah. I mean, and training is just damage, repair, damage, repair. So tear down yeah. in the weight room and build back up with all the right nutrients and your your muscles will repair. Yeah. So I question for you. So you, because it's a dead start, a uh, standing start for, yeah. for the racing, right. um, it just, it's just me being curious. Do you guys calculate the wattage output that you put out when you start? Oh yeah. Yeah. So what so, did you go from at the beginning till the end? What was the difference? Right. Great question. So the, the track bike is also, um, a fixed gear. I don't know if people yeah. know that, like we don't have shifters, we can't shift and we don't have any brakes. Not that you put your yeah. brakes on in a race, but, um, so the start is so hard because you have to have a, a big enough gear on that when you get up to speed, which we were traveling about 60 K per hour in the final event at Olympics, you have enough gear when you're up to speed. So when you start, yeah. it's like you're moving through concrete and yeah. you got to start fast too. It's I mean, you got to get your butt up. At, yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I was doing 807 watts by the Olympics and I started around a little over six is what I could pull push when I started, you know, the standing start. It's, it, there's yeah. definitely Huge my technique difference. improved. 
which will give you 50 watts, just the technique alone, right? No, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the biggest difference was moving the weight in the weight room for me, as I said, yeah. I was trying to build muscle. So I was spending a ton of time on the inverted leg sled because I'm pretty skinny up top, like every cyclist from the waist up. And so yeah. I, I don't, I could never hold the amount of weight that I needed to move on my shoulders to do squats. So I had to use the inverted leg sled and I was, uh, moving about 300 pounds times five sets times 30 reps. And right prior to when I started tapering for Olympics, I was at 585 pounds times six sets times 60 reps. That so you're doing sets of 60 reps with 500 plus pounds. 585. That's I don't think I can do that right now. That's incredible. I couldn't do it. We, my husband and I were talking about the other day for some reason, like I don't even, I can't even imagine moving, moving half that. It's amazing what your body will do is what we were talking about. Like if it's trained, yeah. you know what I mean? And that was over two years to, to, to yeah. you know, and I didn't start at even 300 pounds. Overload. I started it. Yeah. But I mean, it just, it has to answer. It has yeah. to repair and answer because you're going to keep loading it. And our body's very smart and it, you know, we're, we're, we're designed to survive. And it, yeah. if I, if it doesn't adapt, then I would have broken my knees and yeah. my bones. You know, I mean, it's, it knows that it's, it's, it's crazy. It, it, I mean, you should have seen the, I mean, I'm just a 24 hour fitness doing this when I'm not at the training center, I'm at home in Irvine and that's, and the yeah. dudes were like, what are you taking? That was the typical, yeah. like, that does not make any sense. And it's like, I am taking garbanzo beans. <laughs> That's and tofu and kale. Yeah, so, exactly. Question, so you mean the, the inverted, the one where that like, cause not a lot of gym has that one that literally is on top of you, not the 45 degree one. Correct. Right. So yeah, you're that's using even like, harder. <laughs> well, it depends on which part of your body's strong. Like it's all ass yeah. and hamstrings. Right. It's mm -hmm. not as much quad that's, and I don't think you could, I don't think I could do 585 pounds straight. Cause my, your, your glutes are way bigger than your quads or mine. You know I mean? There's so yeah, much yeah. more muscles there. So much more muscle, uh, there. So, so yes, you're kind of pushing at an angle, not straight up. Yeah. Right. But yes, correct. Yeah. 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 Damn. That's pretty, that's pretty challenging. So I'm interested, like what got you into wanting to do cycling and ultimately want to go to the Olympics? Because you mentioned you were 26 when you started um, mm -hmm. this whole journey, which again is a little bit later on, because now when I yeah. look at doing like a half Ironman or races, people are like I've been racing since I'm 15 years old and I'm like 35 now. I'm like, they've got 20 years on me. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. It, it was definitely late to the sport. I'd say most started at, you know, at least by 15 cycling, yeah. you know, maybe younger, but I had a little bit of a, um, odd journey, I guess I'll say I, I was, I had just healed from anorexia that I almost lost my life to. And so I, that was, you know, 22, 23, 24, 25. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get much better. I had been in and out of treatment, but I had found a, a therapist that I really connected with and, and had, pretty much hit rock bottom. And so I, I started trying in therapy and mm. was, was working hard to repair my body and be able to just be in my life again. Cause it had gotten so bad. I wasn't really, I wasn't working. I wasn't, um, I didn't have a social life. I wasn't you know, communicating with friends or family. So towards the end of that healing journey with that therapist, when I was so much better and I was able to 
live life again. She just very <laughs> kind of randomly said to me, I know you want to be able to, you know, be completely healed, not only with food and all of the obsessions that you have, but I know that you want to be able to move your body in a healthy way again. So I want you to choose, um, like a, an exercise or a sport or just something fun that, that where you're moving your body and sweating that, uh, you know, you want to select. And so I said, well, I feel like I would like to tr get a bike. Cause I had just moved out to Los Angeles, like, you know, a few years prior and yeah. you know, it's like 75 in January. And I was like, and it was January when she asked this question, I thought, Oh my gosh, yeah. that would be so epic to ride up Pacific coast highway into, yeah. you know, Mulholland and all of the, you know, Payuma and Latigo, you know, all those climbs you live out there. And, and, uh, cause I had driven them before I'd been up there and I thought, Oh, what if I could do that on a bike? I wonder if I could ride. I lived in Venice that far. Yeah. It was just even the challenge of, could I even make it to Malibu on a bike? And then what it would be like. And I just started, you know, it was like this fantasy in my head. And she said, I love it. Get a bike. That sounds amazing. I mean, that's just perfect. And so, yeah. and she's like, you know, you won't, you won't challenge yourself too much on that. You haven't done it before. You'll just kind of like relax and really like, <laughs> You know, have fun. <laughs> right, just have a good time. The wind in my face, and um, and I fell hard in love with I was gonna it. Say, like, out of that, so an Olympian fast. was born. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fourteen years later. A, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in between. But um, I still love it so much to this day. I mean, I just. I get so happy when I get, get on the bike, much more mountain biking these days than anything. Cause there's too many cars on the road now, but uh, yeah. it just, it just makes me, it just, it's just my happy place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically that was kind of the start of getting, of you getting on a bike. So how many years into it, did, how many years did it take for you to be like, I'm gonna try for the Olympics or I'm trying to turn pro. Right. I, I, I raced for the U.S. national team on the road uh, two years after I started, and that was that's good way too way too early. Like it was one of the. But now looking back, you know everything just happens as it should, and that's what happened. But I, yeah. I mean, I almost quit so many times because I was so in over my head in the beginning. I got yeah. selected; they had one spot left. I happened to get fourth at my very first U.S. nationals um, as a category one, and that made them go, Oh, who's this? And come get, you know, tested at the training center. And then I went, I went on to, you know, some races with the team and in any way, just, I was just so in over my head. So those first three or four years was, were just brutal. I, I don't even know. Yeah. I just, I just didn't, I just kept saying, just don't quit. I yeah. wasn't really enjoying the journey, <laughs> but I just thought, just don't quit. Just, 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 keep, just stick in it a little longer, a little longer. And I did, and I got better on the road and I, you know, got on some big professional teams and would still race with the U S team for, you know, big, big world races or whatever. But, um, I made the transition to the, the track in like when I was like 35 and, not as a, like I'm transitioning to the track and I'm now not going to race the road anymore. I just tried it. I just tried the track. Yeah. I tried the individual pursuit. Um, and I, 
it was just different, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, if you go from the marathon to the 1500 meters or something, you know, people do that. It just, I, I was, I wasn't bored on the road, but I was starting to get like, I think I'm ready to retire. I'm 35. Like I'm going to do something else, you know, with my life, try a new adventure or whatever. And, um, so, but I, I started really falling in love with the track for all the reasons that I had originally fallen in love with the road. It was so challenging. It was so different. I was, you know, a fish out of water. I didn't know what I was doing. The tracks varies. It's still to this day, I think it's scary because it's a 44 degree banking and, yeah, and it, it, it doesn't scary. make sense that the tires stick. It still doesn't make sense. And so I kind of, I was fueled by the allure of fear all the way to the Olympics. I mean, I, the, I remember the last ride on the Olympic velodrome before we competed, like when we were just training, you know, we'd gotten there many days before, obviously. And I just remember being like, I just don't, I, it, it scared the piss out of me being up at the top of the, <laughs> you know, the, it's like three stories high. Right. And it's just a straight shot yeah. down a straight fall down. So, um, but it just, it was, it was such a, it was such a joy and to, completely try to unravel like a whole, it was almost like a whole nother sport. I mean, I, my, my legs were still going in yeah. circles, but other than that, it, it really, it's, it feels all the tactics are different, literally just like the marathon to the 1500 meter, like everything's different. You're still running, but other than that, nothing else is the same. And I love learning all of that. So I don't know, I guess probably three years before Olympics is when it came into the, you know, just the, the, the my sphere that I could be a possible contender you yeah. know, so then you start, you start kind of, then you start sort of dreaming about it and you, and, you know, but at that point they still had, I'd say like 12 women that could have made the final team. It's a, it's a three person event. You take four to the Olympics cause you can trade one out in, in uh, qualifying yeah. semis and finals. But, um, so yeah, it was, but you know, I'd say about three years Yeah, and it was like, that, maybe I, I could do that. <laughs> I've been to the track once and yeah, it's scary. Look, if you've never been, I've never like ridden on it, but it, it does look challenging mentally to like try to ride on that thing. Yeah. Um, it's a trip. Well, if you don't stay at a certain speed, you will slide down. So, yeah. I mean, you will. So it, it, it's, it's, it's all about the weight and the stickiness. So if you, if you're, if you're going to the top of the track um, and it's steeper in the turns, right? Cause they're more narrow. It's, it's, it, you know, world cup tracks are 250 meters, all of them, but they can be shaped differently. They can be round or they can be hot doggy, or they can be di just different shapes of, of round, I guess, like an egg or, um, and if you, I mean, I've slid down before, if you don't keep a certain speed and if you, the, the lighter people have to go faster than the heavier people, you have to keep a higher yeah. speed or you will slide. And the track girls were a little bit you know, beefier than I was coming in from the road. I was a little more lithe, a little bit, a little bit yeah. thinner. And I, I mean, I'd be on the wheel and I'm, and my back wheel is going like it's starting to slide. And I'm like, you have to speed up. And they're like, you're fine. And I'm like, I'm not fine. I'm like, 30 <laughs> pounds lighter than you. It's not fine back here. <laughs> it was so, it's always so scary, but, um, you know, finally I put some weight on, so it was a little, got a little bit better, but, um, yeah, to this day, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to go do it again. I mean, yeah. I probably, I probably never ride the track again. <laughs> I'll go watch it. Like I'm going to go to Olympics next year and I'm going to be at every race, but I do not need to get back on that thing again on my bicycle. 
Yeah. Well, it's questions for you. So this is more for like, I have a lot of uh, endurance athletes that follow me. I'm just curious mm. because it's a, it's a single, it's a fixie, right? Like you only have one speed. Right. So right. what, like, what's kind of like the top speed that you've hit? You said 60, I believe. So what, what cadence do you have to have to hit 60 on a one speed? Well, we didn't hit 60. We maintained 60 K an hour for the race, which our race, yeah. I mean, we, we broke the American record, um, and the world record, but then the British broke the world record at the safe Olympics. So they, they, but, yeah. uh, three minutes and 16 seconds, uh, 123 RPMs in a 102 inch gear is what I wrote wow. at the Olympics for on to, average. To, to maintain. That's crazy. The whole time. I mean, it's, it's yeah, a fixed yeah. gear. Yeah. Yeah. Once I got up to speed, I mean, once the standing starts yeah, yeah. over, right? So three quarters of the way into the race, almost a lap in, I've hit the, you know, the speed it's, you don't speed up in track cycling. Like, in, you know, yeah. like once you're at speed, there's no, you just, there's, yeah, yeah. unless you're just a total complete freak of nature, which they're out there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's usually the fall from grace from that point. Like, I mean, you're going to, but, but we maintained, which is you yeah. know, we trained years to be able to do. Yeah. So what, what power were you averaging during that, during that race? Do you remember? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yes. It's like that stuff is like, so we did like, so listen, much. Like athlete, remember all those numbers. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, I got it. Um, we, we spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel. Um, I'm, uh, very, I have a very unaerodynamic body, which sucks ass. It's, I can't even tell you how bad it sucks because I have to put out more than my teammates when I'm on the front. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I have really long legs and a short torso. So my butt is up very high on the saddle. The saddle's high cause I have such yeah. long legs, but then I have, so I'm just, I'm just all sorts of unaerodynamic. So on the front, um, I was having to put out 470 to 490 watts. Uh, and then in the draft, 360. Whereas, like, one of my teammates had to put 380 out on the front. That's how yeah. slippery oh, she wow. is. Um, which doesn't, to, to me nowadays, it doesn't sound like a ton for some reason, but when I get, when you go back to the, the this, it's okay. <laughs> the length of the event and the fact it's just the craziest feeling to not be able to shift, to let yeah. the weight off the gear, right? Like you yeah. can shift and then on the road and then go up a climb and put out 550 Watts, but then you yeah. unload your legs and then you look, it is a trip not being able to do that. To be able to just hold that is it's the, it's the craziest feeling to be able to train, to get to that, um, to get to that. It's, 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 it's just, cause once you start falling off the gear, you're done. There's yeah. nothing you can do about it. it. It's not, you know, you can't get back on top of the gear because you're already, you're it's a done. very weird feeling. And, and it took a long time to get used to it and, and really be able to maintain what we needed to maintain because track cycling is just a math equation. So we knew going yeah. into the Olympics, like we had a pretty good guess of what was going to be the, world record ride there. We knew the time. Yeah. We knew the temperature of the track has a lot to do with the speed. They heat them up to 85 degrees. Um, for, the, the, for what reason? 
for, it's, it's faster air. The molecules, okay. you can move through the molecules. The molecules are actually bigger, but you, you move through them easier than when there's tons and tons and tons of tiny molecules. So it's the hot air's fast air. Uh, that's why you see like, you know, like marathon world records happening at when it's really hot. And you're like, wow, that's weird because they're also dehydrated. Yes. But if they do the dehydration right, like hot air is a lot faster. Okay. That's why they do the car. Um, can't think of the types of cars, but they do that world record speed out in the desert. Okay. I mean, they probably also yeah. need the space, but I mean, it's, it's hot air is faster. So you're we knew the temperature that they were probably going to set the track at, at the Olympics. We had raced at that trap track, the world cup. So everybody could, you know, feel the Olympic yeah. track. And so, and so, you know, you know, you're, you know, what gear you're going to have to push at what cadence to reach that time. It's, it's, that is one of the things I loved about it so much. There's so much freaking guesswork in road cycling. So yeah. <laughs> many variables, like a yeah, thousand, like triathlon. And, yeah, yeah. It's like, and when I got to this, it was like, this is literally a math equation. I'm either going to be able to get where I need to be by yeah. August 2nd of 2012, or I'm not. And if I can, this is what the result is. It's It was so cool having it be that exact. It's a lot of, yeah. it felt like a lot of pressure having it be that exact too, because you also can't be like, well, you know, somebody ran out in front of my, my bike or what, you know, like there's yeah, all yeah. these crazy things that can happen on the road. But um, I, I liked the specificity. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was just, as you're sharing that, I was like, I remember when I ran like a few of my last half Ironman, if your mm -hmm. pace slows down, you start to do weird math in your head. You're like, okay, if I keep this pace, it'll take me this much time to finish the amount of time. So I'll finish in this many hours right. and you slow down or some shit, you go to the bathroom or whatever. And you're just like, you know, you have to do some weird math the whole time you're biking, the whole time you're running. Yes, yes, yes. This is true. Right. And and so it's like, this is this, it's just, you don't have to do any math because it's just one math. And if you don't do that one math, it's over and you're not winning a medal. Yeah. So it's, just, it's nicer as far as that goes, because you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know what yeah. you mean. Like in stage races, you're doing the same, you know, like I have to stay with so-and-so and I've got to get over this climb. And then if I can get over this climb with so-and-so, then I'll be, I mean, it's just, it's a lot. It's, it's a oh, lot. And so. Was. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There's, there's so no I, variable, but your, but your brain in track cycling telling you, you can't do it. You just can't yeah. listen to that brain. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I assume you have a, a computer monitor, right? That tells you your wattage and, and everything so that you can know yeah. the right pace. Okay. Well, you can't see you. We have power meters on, but they're on the back of our saddle. A for okay. aerodynamics B because you can't see like okay. it's, I'd love to put, it, 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 you'd enjoy like a simulator. Our aero helmets are covering everything, right? So you sound like you're in a wind tunnel in, yeah. in, on the track. It's the crowds are really loud, really loud, and all you can hear is, you know, and then yeah. and then sometimes you can hear the the roar of a crowd or something. It's whatever, um, and so and you're you would never be able to read your power meter. Or, I mean, I couldn't, I'm sure there's some really skill, but you're, you're just like, you're, Pushing. I mean, I have to look up to some degree, which also, you yeah. know, I did have a teammate that was able to ride the track like this. She came, she'd been on the track since she was 15. She'd been at two Olympics and sprinting. Um, she was more skilled than I was. I had to look where I'm going. 
Like yeah, now, yeah. I did not have the option to not look where I was going. I know it's just an oval, but um, it's easy so, to mess up. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you're just done, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. So we've got the power meters, and they would you know download them every time, right? Every training and everything. But you don't. It's not like on the road where you can look down and be like, "Oh, cool, I met my watts." You're so. Yeah, yeah fucked from the second you start to the, it, that there's no like, <laughs> Oh, let me see what's happening here. Like, it's just like, I don't know what's happening and this is all I got. You know, you're just like, and the exchanges are very intense as well. Right. Cause you have to fly up the track and come back down in line, yeah. not too fast, not too slow, not too over, not too under, you know? So it's, it's, um, I, I personally had to concentrate like it, it, it intensely to, to be able yeah. to pull it off. Yeah. So I got one last geeky data yeah. question for you. Um, cause I definitely want to talk about switch for good after. Um, so I had two more about the Olympics. One of them is, do you remember what your last FTP test was when you were training? Well, we didn't do FTPs really in track cycling. I mean, okay. I did when I came into it, but true, but FTPs were way more of a road thing, way, oh, okay. way more of a road thing. Like, I mean, we were training maxes more because team pursuit is like, um, like I mentioned, it's, it's, it's sort of similar to the 1500, 800 where you're using, it's like you're using oxygen, but you're also not right. It's that, it's yeah. that intermediate distance, right? So the long distance, you're always using oxygen, the 200 meter using no oxygen, right? So it's, yeah. yeah. So that's, so you're training differently. So yeah. no, I don't remember what my last FTP was on the road. I mean, it was probably, it was definitely in probably the mid threes back then. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's so long. That was so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably in the mid fours by the women. I just did mine. I just did mine two you days did? ago. Yeah. It was, it's, I just started getting back what into is it? training after three years off. It was like 250. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, you get, I was dead. <laughs> That sounds hard to me. You'll, I mean, that'll, that'll, it, you know, that'll change fast because you have so much history, you know, and you're just getting back into it. So it's been three that'll weeks. Be fun to watch been, that was, change. Yeah. Yeah. It was brutal. Quads That's were on impressive. fire. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so last question, just last question about the Olympics. I was curious, like how, how did nutrition go in terms of like being vegan at the Olympics? Do you just come with your on food? Did you have nutritionists? Like I always wondered that, like for the vegan athletes yeah. that go out there. Well, it's, you, you kind of, you want to wonder about food for all the athletes and here's why. So I have only been to one Olympics and just one and done, but I have heard so many stories about so many different Olympics from Sydney to Athens to Beijing, as I had teammates going to those Olympics during my, and it really depends on the Olympic games. Like in, in Athens, cause everything, you know, you're just training for this your whole life. And what is every athlete fear at their largest competition? Yeah. Just the nutrition not be right. Like if you getting sick. Yeah. That's your, that's your country. Yeah. Yes. So you're so, cause you're at such a heightened state, right? So you're very susceptible, right? Like your immune system's definitely dodgy. Like you're peaking. Yeah. Yeah. So they're so concerned about, about that. And like, for example, Athens was, they didn't build any new buildings for the athletes to stay in. It was, you know, in Athens in the summer. So it was 8 million degrees, quite yeah. literally. They said it's never, they've never felt heat like that no air conditioning 
and no curtains. So right. they were being woken up at, you know, when the sun came up, right? And how do you avoid getting sick, proper nutrition, proper rest, proper all the things. So that was a good example of just, it was just a train wreck from that standpoint. And they, they, they said the eating was very dodgy. Like it was just, it, sometimes it was good. Sometimes it wasn't, they couldn't really necessarily get what they needed. Cause no matter what, you know, quote diet you're on, you, you have yeah. very specific foods that you want. So yeah, yeah. when we got to, to London, my teammates who had been to Athens and Beijing were like, you ass, you have hit the best Olympics that has ever happened <laughs> in the history of London was unfreaking believable. They built entirely new buildings, which is very cool because now they use them for like what we refer to in the States as Section 8 housing. So they put them in yeah. a part of town where they knew that they were going to be able to take care of uh, people, indigent people, poor people. I mean, they did an unbelievable job. So everything was brand spanking new. It was this gorgeous Olympic village. And the food was, I, I still dream about how good the food was. It was a football field size cafeteria. And I'm not even kidding. You would sit and uh, eat and you would like have to make a decision if you actually wanted to walk that far to get, you know, like a second serving, like that's how big it was. And they had the parts of the world, uh, sectioned out. So it was like East Asia, Africa, Americas. So like, if you were from those, you go, oh, okay, I want food just that I know, you know, I'm going to go over yeah. to the Americas and like, I don't know, get whatever. Uh, I went over to East Asia a lot because they had tofu and veggies and rice. And it was, there was so much plant-based food. It was insane. And oh, it wasn't great. like a thing then, like it wasn't labeled, you know, there, I think they're, they'll be doing that more now. I mean, I know for Paris, they're, they're, they've really decreased the meat that they're serving the athletes. I just saw a press release. They did. They've been working very hard from a sustainability standpoint, uh, like uh, Olympics are always trying to beat each other. Like we were the most sustainable Olympics in history yeah. and they never really have any data to support it, but they're always trying to do that. So, um, but so it was, it was like. I mean, I, I had to try to not overeat, you know, it was that, it was that good. So I had zero trouble. I mean, it was better oh, than nice. where we were living in Spain prior to going to the Olympics training. It was, it was, it was better than that. It was, it was awesome. Got very oh, lucky. Good. Yeah. I was wondering about that. So I'm happy you hit the good one. You hit the jackpot. Um, yes. Yes. Me too. Yeah. So let's dive into switch for good. Cause that's kind of, that's how, uh, that's where I met you at the booth at the vegan expo, maybe like a, right. a month or right. so ago. Yeah. So SoCal. for people listening, like it's a it's an evidence based nonprofit disrupting the disinformation mm -hmm. that big dairy feeds the public. Did I do it justice, this or do you want to kind of dive yeah, a little bit that's more it. into that's it? That's sort of our. That's sort of us. That's what. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as I've mentioned, um, you know, spent a lot of time at the U.S. Olympic Training Centers uh, training uh, for my sport and. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but the United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the world whose Olympic teams are not government funded. So they have to go out and get private sponsors. So the U.S. went out and got dairy as a title sponsor uh, for 10 years, basically the, all the years that I was in their training. And so yeah. we, we had that for the whole 10 years, it was, it was just the perpetuation of the lie that you need dairy foods to be healthy, to be strong, to recover, to repair, and to basically win a, win medals. I mean, that's what they were that's what they were selling. 
Yeah. I don't really think too many of us necessarily believed that hook, line, and sinker. Like, you know, some were like, whatever, I'll, you know, had it at, you know, whey protein, great, great protein or milk for recovery. You know, they knew it had carbs, proteins, and fats, fine. Uh, but when I went plant-based, I started to just really question that deeply, right? And trying to yeah. understand why is this one milk from this one specific bovine species supposed to be good for adult humans? Like what, I don't yeah. understand what that, how did that uh, happen and how did that unfold and why are we being sold this lie and why are they, why is our government putting so much money into this industry when there's lots of industries that are doing incredible work that they're not putting any money into, you know, so AKA the subsidies for a big ag. So just with that, with that heart and that curiosity, I asked, started asking a lot more questions and then, you know, post retirement, we had an opportunity in 2018, six Olympians, six of us from four different countries that, uh, wanted to put a commercial on the closing ceremonies of that Olympic games, which were in Pyeongchang that year, the winter Olympics. Um, and we just felt a calling, a pull to say, to tell the truth, like they can advertise all they want, but the science is not there. And, and we just, it's just crazy that this is being sold this way. And so we said, let's, let's say something, let's do something, let's stand up, let's tell the truth. So we did. And long story short, we had planned to put the commercial on the closing ceremonies of that Olympic Games on NBC here in the States. Uh, and it was supposed to air in six cities. We couldn't afford the whole yeah. country because it's very expensive with these incredible funders that were behind us the whole way. It airs in Washington, D.C., and then it doesn't air anymore. And so we call, you know, next morning what, what the WTF the dairy industry had called and gotten it kicked off of NBC only really because, you know, they were going to continue to <laughs> run ads on NBC and we weren't, you know, so NBC just acquiesced and was like, fine, you know, they just did it. Yeah. So that's the power of the dollar. But I don't I'll think that's what be... they had in mind when they asked you guys to make a video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, that, that really was sort of the, I mean, the switch for good name came up because at the end of the commercial, we had to tell some, some, we had to tell people what to do. Like it was, Mm -hmm. that was an afterthought. We're like, oh my God, the end card, what is the end card going to say? You know, we've done the whole commercial. And uh, and, and so we did switch for good, make the switch for good, Uh, ditch dairy or drop dairy or make the switch for good or something like that. And so, but, but post we, I, I, that really set a fire in me that they got it kicked off. And I, I, I feel grateful, honestly, to this day that they did. Cause I don't think switch for good would be here. I don't know that I'd be doing the activism that I'm doing, um, at now. And so that was just, that was a, a fire that has not stopped burning, you know, that you're, you're not going to, you're not going to silence the truth. It's just, that's not how it's going to work and that's not how it's going to go down. And, and, you know, the dairy industry is almost on their last leg. 73% of their income comes from our federal government subsidies. They are not being kept alive because of the consumers demanding the product. Um, They are being kept alive from years of my tax dollars. And I do believe it'll be the first animal food to topple. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was actually going to ask, like, 
I was going to ask her originally, like, why did you go after dairy, right? Because as a part of the vegan movement, there's there's the ethical component, there's the environmental component, there's the egg industry, there's the meat industry. So did sure. you go after the dairy because it was kind of like your history as the main sponsor for the Olympics to kind of sponsor? Yeah, I had the most experience with them. None of the other animal foods were like trying to lie to us and tell us, like, if you eat this pork chop, you will win a gold medal. Like they were, yeah, li yeah. it's literally that much the, pressure. The and it's because they were the sponsor. Campaign, right? Yeah, it's. It, yeah. And, but you would see this all the, um, the verbiage that they put around the training center cafeteria, the, the recovery bar that we had there was like only dairy. It was like yogurt and cottage cheese and whey protein and milk and like ugh, it was disgusting, and yeah. that. So it was just born out of that, you know, living that experience of being lied to. And then when I come into it, when I, it comes into focus that, that it is a lie. Cause I didn't think about it in the beginning, you know, you're just like, Oh yeah, whatever dairy. I don't think many, you know, you, it's not like you've got other things to do, but, but yeah. once I go plant-based, I'm going, well, wait, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. This is not, why are they saying this? This is not true. Um, you don't need it at all. And it makes most people sick especially yeah. people of color and people, you know, from other different parts of the world whose culture uh, doesn't even touch dairy. It's not even a part of their culture. You've got about 1.5 billion people in China that original culture that don't even know what dairy is. There's dairy there now because we've infiltrated it and said, here, drink this, eat McDonald's, have Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, but um, it's, uh, it is, it's definitely uh, not a part of a high performance diet. Yeah. Well, talking about high performance, I, I saw in your stories maybe a few days ago, you having, aren't, aren't you having a debate with another Olympian that's like pro dairy? <laughs> I mean, having a boxing I, match. Sort of, I know, right? We're, oh, we're going to do great. She's like a, um, she's a 1500 meter runner. As I was in, I'm not sure we yeah, <laughs> yeah. got about the same, uh, probably VO2 max, but, um, it, I was, I've switched for good is very active in 2020 in making some changes to the U S dietary guidelines, dietary guidelines for Americans come out every five years. So we're mm -hmm. next year will be the year before they come out again. The, the new, um, the new rendition of it, which will be 2005. And so I spoke, uh, at some testimony they were taking, oh, I don't know, it's probably six months ago. And my hope for the dietary guidelines revisions this time are to remove dairy as its own food group category and put it, just put it in the protein category. Yeah. Uh, because it's insane that there's this like one juice from cows. Yeah. That's its own whole category. It's crazy. Uh, and, and it is in, in, incredibly unfair because we have a very culturally diverse country now and 70% of the world can't even digest it digest, yeah. right? The lactose, they don't, their, their lactase enzyme turns off around the time that one would stop breastfeeding. And so they can no longer digest the sugar in cow's milk, lactose, one of the sugars. And so, um, that is what I, you know, let's say fought for on the dietary guidelines and to be more culturally diverse, culturally appropriate. I mean, the dietary guidelines are, are, you know, they set the standard for a lot of the food programs in America. Yeah. We have a lot of brown and black kids that, man, Jerry makes them really sick. 
It, it can't yeah. be like you have to take three servings a day from this category because that's what they do in the, in the guidelines, right? They've got five categories and you're supposed to take this many servings from each category. So I said that and then I guess there was this other uh, athlete who is a dairy farmer who also gave testimony on behalf of the milk processors board Yeah. to, I don't know what her testimony was because I didn't hear it. I guess yeah. just yay dairy. I'm not really sure. Uh, so it, the Wall Street Journal called and did an interview on t with me and, and, and did the same with her. I was not informed that they were going to pit us against each other, yeah. which I wasn't crazy about. I thought that the the, um, the journalist should have shared that that's, that was the angle of the article. But anyway, the article came out like, you know, a couple days ago. Um, yeah. And so, the, I mean, you know, it is an okay article. It wasn't brilliantly written, but uh, it, it, it did the evidence was on the no cow's milk side. I mean, if you yeah. read the art, it's that you just, I don't know. She just didn't, the other side didn't bring forward any evidence. They just brought uh, forward an anecdotal. Um, you know, I think cottage cheese and yogurt helped me run better. Yeah. That's not, not too <laughs> much evidence. And also if she's a, like, no, yeah. One thing I, I thought about it the other day is like if she's a dairy farmer, like her revenue is directly impacted by this industry doing mm -hmm. well. Like if you think of any vegans that is taking a stand for ethical purposes, environmental purposes, for dairy, for eggs, there's no financial gains for us wanting to change this. Like we gain nothing out of it. And we're just no. the industries are fighting because it's their income. Right. Like I get it. If someone came after my income, I'd probably put up a fight, too. Um, but there's no financial gain for a lot of the vegans that are out there to kind of make those changes. Right. Right. And running, running a nonprofit is, I am not getting rich. I'll tell you that. That is, it could be doing many other things that would be, yeah. So, um, yeah, she did, was not paid for her testimony by the milk processors boards, but she said, I, I, she's sponsored by them. So she yeah, makes yeah. money, they pay her. Yeah, so, yeah. so yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. I've never, we need to find, we need to grow like tofu and chickpea brands so that they can start sponsoring athlete. <laughs> I know. I know. We're, right. I, I know. get sponsored by light. We're Life. getting there. You know, they make the tempeh bacon and all that. Yes. Light I Life. love yeah. incredible. Good. Yeah. Oh, I love There's, the Buffalo flavor. I had some yesterday. Not the Buffalo. Yeah, tempeh. So you know good. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's so good. It's yeah, so, it's, so good. It, yeah. It's delicious. So, um, just want to go over the dairy components because some people that are listening are already vegan, they're whole food plant based. Some of them want uh -huh. to kind of transition and dairy yeah. cheese tends to be the hardest for a lot of people to let go mm -hmm. of. So mm -hmm. what are kind of things that you've learned throughout the years that the impact of, of cheese and dairy can have on the body and the benefits of making those changes? Right. Well, I hope there's, I mean, <laughs> Besides the lactose intolerance was a gigantic portion of the uh, population. You can also have a cow's milk allergy, which are pretty, which are pretty scary. Um, the research shows us that it, it does not help bone density, actually inhibits bone density. And if you want to see the research, can go to switchforgood.org and literally just click on why ditch dairy. So we make it really easy. Uh, and there's some different categories, but if you go into the health and performance category, which I think your listeners will be interested in, in the performance, there's just, it's, it's just laid out, right? If you want to go into understanding the research on bone density, you just click that box and we have everything referenced. 
So you can read yeah. the research and, and then you could go and look at the actual um, study or the actual evidence. Um, there yeah, are- I'll put the link uh, for people listening in the description as well. So okay, like. easy peasy, yeah. Um, there, I mean, I don't think anybody that even knows what cow's milk is or any milk from any species is fraught with hormones because yeah. it's a mother cow in the dairy industry. Most of them are already pregnant with the next calf when they are being milked. So for the guys out there, if they want some man boobs, keep drinking the dairy milk. So I'll say that with that one. Um, yeah. I started feeling, I am not lactose intolerant, right? Like I, white people have been the ones that, you know, thought of this genius idea of milking cows and we've been milking cows the longest. I'm, you know, pretty much 99% Great Britain when my, my ancestry. And so I, my lactase enzyme, you know, I'm genetically mutated and it stayed on. So I'm not lactose intolerant, yeah. but what I noticed was, um, better digestion and less inflammation and oxidative stress. Those were my two things. Cause I didn't have any of the other issues around lactose tolerance, which are pretty gnarly, right? Like it, it, people ha get extreme rashes, most eczema, I shouldn't yeah. say most, I know acne. a lot of people who had eczema, but acne, but, but really from the lactose intolerance, it's such, it's really inhibited Flam, breathing, mucus. right? Flemmy and, yeah. you know, cause your body's right. It's, it's, it's fighting, um, yeah, to, to try that. to get back to normal. There you go. That, I mean, that's yeah. not a way that you're going to get to the podium, right? If you can't take a full deep breath or if you're always fighting uh, phlegm and it's full deep breath, but dairy is uh, ex exceptionally uh, inflammatory and um, the, the free, la free radicals that are produced that come off when you're inflamed can damage your cells and really extend and impair uh, and limit recovery and the speed yeah. of recovery and repair. So I think the taking out the dairy was a big reason that I felt like, or I know my recovery sped up, but I think that is part of the reason that it did when I went plant-based because I wasn't um, fighting this chronic inflammation all the time anymore. I was fighting yeah. acute inflammation, which is normal as an athlete, right? Like you're inf yeah. a little inflamed after you've trained really hard and you've damaged and you're repairing, but I was just in a state of chronic inflammation as well. And it was a, it was a big difference, um, taking, taking the dairy out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it made me think I saw a video the other day. It said, who's the first weirdo that discovered that milk that humans can drink cow milk. Like who's, who's the first that saw a cow, a baby calf drank milk. And I was like, I'm going to suck on that and see if that's good for me. You always wonder that first. I mean, I would imagine it was somebody that was very, very hungry. Yeah. You know, I mean, no yeah. jokes aside, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. this, it, they, they think it's like 8,000 years ago. I mean, every time I've looked it up, it's, they think it's between six to 8,000 years ago that somebody did that. And, and it was yeah. a very different world back then. Yeah. So, it probably There's wasn't no a bad foods. idea. Right. Yeah. And it's just a cat. Nobody's forcibly impregnating. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they got yeah. pregnant naturally. I'm probably, yeah, for sure. Right. Nobody figured that out. And, and, and they, and they're, it was probably, they're probably starving. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. which case it makes, it makes complete sense. It just makes no sense whatsoever any longer. Yeah, exactly. To do in this day and age when you have all this food availability. Um, yeah. So, um, for the people that are listening, how can they support 
switch for good? I know you guys are doing a, a lot of education, but how can people support? Yeah. Well, one thing that we're really needing um, and we're asking people to, to, to come to the site and support is we have a federal bill. Um, it's been introduced in the Congress and it was introduced in the Senate, uh, Senate bipartisan bill just a couple of months ago. And it's called the Ad Soy Act. And all it does, it's like this most simple bill that'll ever go across the desk of this, of the Congress and, and, uh, and the Senate. It is just literally to bring in soy milk as a choice in schools for kids. So mm. a little under 50 million kids in the school system, about 25 to 30 million of them are on the school lunch and breakfast program. And they are forced, um, <clears throat> although it doesn't say that in the writing of the rule, uh, forced to take a cow's milk, but there is a cow's milk placed on their tray because that's how schools get reimbursed uh, yeah. for, for the food. And so, um, and 60, 70, 80% of these kids, it makes sick. Yeah. And they do not have a proper choice. They have they don't have any choice. The choice is not even water, which yeah. wouldn't necessarily be a great choice for a, a kid that is food insecure, right? Because you want a, a, a nice, solid macronutrient profile in that pint of milk. So yeah. soy milk has that. It has the exact same macronutrient profile actually as dairy, except for it has a little bit less fat. But it has the, the same protein, same carbohydrate. And the kids, they deserve a choice. And it's yeah. insane that we're here in this 2023 and nobody's asked the question since the National School Lunch Program got started in 47, is this good for all? And it's not. Yeah. I'd say it's good for none, but it's definitely not good for all. And last year, 30% of the kids threw away the milk unopened. Yeah, They didn't even open it. <laughs> So that's equates to about 300 million of our tax dollars being lit on fire because the school lunch program is about a billion dollars a year. So yeah. it was actually 29.8%. So just under 30%, right? That is a lot of money just being thrown in the trash. So it's huge food waste. Why aren't the kids yeah. even opening them? They either don't like it or it makes them feel sick. I mean, I yeah. don't know what other reasons there would be. So we have a, you know, least give them a healthy option choice that doesn't make them sick. So if they go to the switchforgood.org, they'll see very quickly as they scroll down on the left side, our Add Soy Act gives kids healthier choices at school. And then you can click the pink button, help our kids, and it will send in a letter to your um, congressperson and your two senators uh, that you su okay. that you support this bill. And is is important. They, they want to hear from their constituents. So um, yeah. that is a, it is an action that everybody can take right after they finish this podcast. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, again, all the links will be down below as well. Obviously for your website, for, for Switch for Good and you guys' podcast, which I was very happy to, to, to be on. Um, yeah. So I always like to- Yeah, right? On, yeah. Let me say one more thing. I just re realized who I'm talking to. Also, you can get the, the plant-based playbook that we released with the Inter International Olympic Committee earlier this year. So if there's athletes listening that are like kind of curious about going plant-based or they have a friend or colleague or trainer or coach or dietitian who thinks it's a bunch of horseshit, <laughs> you can go get this playbook. It's written by MDs and PhDs, just under 300 references. So when your trainer or your coach tells you there's not the data there to support going plant-based, the data is there. You just give there. them that. 
Yeah, so they can access the the the, the plant based play playbook too. It's called "Let the Plant Based Games Begin." Didn't oh, want perfect! To forget is, that's that. on the Switch this for Good your website podcast. as well. Exactly. It's just a okay. couple blocks over from the Ad Soy Act. Yeah. Okay, I'll just link all of them separately so people know exactly which one to. Oh, to brilliant! Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Someone needs to create that document because there's a. I don't know for you, but I still get people trying to come into the, our program that are like, hey, I have this personal trainer, but he's not vegan and he doesn't believe in it. I was like, hey, just there's some there's a lot of resources to give those people. Right. No, that's why we made it. I literally that was what was happening. Like post Game Changers coming out, I had different athletes getting a hold of me, whether whatever, email or social media, like I really want to try this, but my fill in the blank coach, trainer, dietitian says there isn't any evidence to support that it's good for athletes. That was all anecdotal. They're just too lazy to look, to be honest with you. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, no, there is. And so I actually called the International Olympic Committee because I thought, well, maybe they have something. There's a guidebook and I don't know. That's just Mm -hmm. the science, right? Like we've got some good plant-based books, you know, Robert Cheeks and, um, but, you know, just straight, you know, kind of a geeky science book for those yeah. uh, dietitians. And um, to their credit, the Olympic Committee said, we don't, and but we need it because people yeah. are really starting to ask. And so we went on a year-long journey of creating this with them. So uh, it's, ju- it's basically just the science, but the, the section five is like the tools section. So it tells you how to apply it and has a whole bunch of meal plans and recipes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's 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 why we did it because you hear that a lot. Athletes wanting to do it, and then their you know curmudgeon-y coach is like, you know, no, yeah. you're gonna die. It's like, it's not. Awesome. Well, that's it. I always love to end on words of wisdom. So we talked, we covered a lot today. We geeked out a little bit on numbers. Talked about the nonprofit. Um, so, what are words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience that is looking to improve themselves ultimately through a plant-based lifestyle? Well, I think, you know, stay curious. I'm like very much thinking a lot about curiosity and the power of curiosity and how it shaped my road to the Olympics. Because I told you how hard it was in those first like three or four years when I was way in over my head. But what kept me in it is I literally just kept being curious to see what was possible. And I'm realizing as I'm just been marinating on curiosity the last months, uh, how powerful it can be if you want to make a significant change in your life, whether it's your diet or anything else, any, you know, significant change. It's so easy for us to talk ourselves out of things. So easy for us to say, oh, you know, that's not for me, or I don't want to try, or it's going to be too hard. But the one thing that cures all of that is curiosity. Because if you just stay curious enough to give it a try and then learn what you're going to learn from it and take in what you're going to take in from it. I just think it's a really powerful way to be. So stay curious. I think I'll leave you with. Beautiful. Great, great words to end on. So for everyone listening, if you enjoyed the episode, um, be sure to tag people that need to hear this message. All the link will be down below. So I'll put the link for the, the digital ebook ultimately and the nonprofit and your website. Massive. Thank you for everyone for listening. Dalsi, thank you for coming on. Um, and we'll see you guys you. in the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to rate the podcast as it helps us grow and spread our message. And if you know this will help and resonate with someone, be sure to send it their way so that they can have the opportunity to level up their life as well.